Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. It was about noon and darkness came over the whole land until about three in the afternoon because of an eclipse of the sun. Then the veil of the temple was torn down the middle. Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. It's at this point that we kneel. There's only two times in the church's liturgy where the faithful are asked to kneel outside of the normal times. March 25th, the Annunciation, when we pray the creed and we say those words, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, the church asks us to kneel. And again today, when that flesh assumed breathes its last, the church again asks us to kneel. This is the final word of the final sermon of our Lord as he hung upon the cross. And he addresses his father as Abba. Abba, I have nothing left to give them or to give you except this last breath in my lungs, the very last thing that I have. It's the last thing. And now even this, Father, this even I entrust to you as I've entrusted every drop of my blood up to this point, every fiber of my own torn body, every beat of my sacred heart, I entrust it to you knowing that you will meet me and embrace me on the other side of this door. And with a cry, Scripture says, a cry, how many dying men are capable of crying out in a loud voice in their final moments, but the Lord Jesus cries out and he plunges into the icy depths of death But why? Why was his death necessary, if we can even ask such a question? Because one of the penalties imposed upon man because of original sin is that he would die. After the expulsion from the garden, Adam, the first man, stumbled upon the limp corpse of his own son, Abel, who was slain by Cain. Adam had never seen a dead thing before. And he picked him up and he carried him in his arms and he laid him in the lap of Eve. This, the first Pieta. And Adam and Eve, they spoke to him, but Abel did not answer. He was never so silent as he was in this moment. And they lifted his hand, but it fell back limp. And they thought his hands have never acted this way before. And they looked into his eyes. And they were glassy and fixed and staring, and they were never so unresponsive before. And it was then that Adam recalled what the Lord said to him in the garden, that on the day that you eat of the fruit, you shall surely die. Because death was the penalty for sin. And here, cradled in the mother's lap, was death's first victim. It's the very first death of the world. 
And from that death, centuries passed, turning into millennia, and all the while the river of blood and the pain of sin mounted until finally God acted decisively, not sending an emissary, not sending a legion of angels, not sending a divine decree, but he sends his own son, the promised lamb, the new Abel. Finally, the king sent his son, thinking, Surely they'll respect my son. And he is put to death by the race of Cain. And there on the cross, from a distance, the son, he catches sight of the father, running forth to greet him. And the son cries out, Abba. What's happening today is that the prodigal son is returning to his father's house is not Christ the prodigal. 33 years ago, 33 years earlier, he had left his father's eternal mansion and he went off into the far distant country of this fallen world. Then he began to spend himself, being spent on men, dispensing with an infinite divine prodigality, the divine riches of power and mercy and glory and beauty, bestowing with a heavenly liberality the divine gifts of pardon and mercy and blessing. In this last hour that we are keeping vigil, watching right now, his whole substance of flesh and blood is being wasted among sinners, for he is giving every drop of his precious blood for the redemption of the world. There is nothing now in this moment of agony and anguish to feed upon except the husks of human sneers and the vinegar of gall, bitter human ingratitude. And in this hour, he prepares to take the road back again to his father's house. And again, as yet some distance away, he sees the face of his heavenly father. And it's as if he breaks off into a sprint and summoning every ounce of energy he has left, he utters the last and the most perfect prayer that he could say from the pulpit of the cross. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And all the while, Mary is standing at the foot of the cross. In a short time, the new Abel slain by his brethren, will be taken down from the cross of salvation and he'll be laid in the lap of the new Eve. While the first Eve, she knew nothing of death, this Eve, she was all too familiar. And she sits, holding the corpse of the one who referred to himself as life itself. For when life dies, it is the death of death. This is the death of death. And holding him now, she can't help but recall with tear-dimmed eyes, Bethlehem. She looks at his head, crowned with thorns, which had nowhere to lay itself in death except on the pillow of the cross. And looking on his head, it causes her to remember the head which she drew to her breast at Bethlehem. And those eyes of his that are now closed 
They were once the blinking eyes of newborn curiosity that glanced up at her and Joseph from a crib of straw. The helpless feet that are now disfigured and pierced with nails once more seemed to her the baby feet at which were cast the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh by the visiting magi. The lips, his beautiful lips, from which poured forth words of glory, now parched and crimsoned with blood, they seemed to be the ruddy lips that once at Bethlehem nourished themselves on the Eucharist of her body as she gave milk to our bread. And those hands that can hold nothing at this point but wounds, they seem once more to be the baby hands that were not quite long enough to touch the huge heads of the cattle and the sheep that were warming themselves in the cave. This embrace of theirs at the foot of the cross seems so much like the embrace at the side of the crib But in that sad hour of death, which always makes one think of birth, Mary may feel that Bethlehem again is returning, but it most certainly is not. This is the cross. This is the hour. Bethlehem is what Jesus looked like when she had given him to humanity. And the cross is what Jesus looked like when sinful humanity had given him back to her. And something intervened between her giving at the manger and her receiving him at the cross. And that which intervened is our sin. Every sin. The only thing to do in this hour is to turn to her. My lady... My mother, it is I who stand between his birth and his redemptive death. I was the one who called out from the crowd, crucify him. Today your son surrenders his soul to his heavenly father with a loud cry and his body to your caressing hands as once he entrusted himself to the silence and to the protection of your womb. The last few drops of blood fall from the great chalice of redemption, staining the wood of the cross and the rocks below, rocks that will soon be split in two because of the horror. A single drop of that blood would have been sufficient to redeem 10,000 worlds. And so, Our Lady, on this Friday that we call good, Mary, we ask you to intercede for us to your divine Son for forgiveness of the sin of changing your Bethlehem into Calvary. Beg him, Mary, the grace of remembering me, a poor sinner at the hour of my death, that unworthy though I am, I would respond to his invitation to come, to come home to the waiting Father, to the house, to the place prepared for me, that I, when he calls, would arise and go to my father.